Our scripture this morning is from Zechariah, so the second to the last book in the Old Testament, chapter 1 and verses 1 through 17. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berkiah, the son of Ido. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed, this is what the Lord Almighty says, turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, but they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. And where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berkiah, the son of Ido. During the night, I had a vision, and there before me was a man mounted on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. And I asked, What are these, my lord? The angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, These are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, We have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with for these 70 years? So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. And then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, and I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion, and choose Israel or choose Jerusalem. Sorry. This is the word of the Lord. So Todd is back, and uh, we just want to pray for him before he shares with us this morning. Thank you. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we are grateful for one another. And we are mostly grateful for you. We thank you that you have called us to this place. And the greatest thing that we have in common is our relationship with you and the sharing that we have with one another in learning about you in all that we do. 
in taking the opportunity in this relatively small but very real community to look for opportunities to share your love with one another. We thank you, Lord, that over these last four months you have blessed us and you've blessed Todd. We thank you that he's back. We thank you that he's back cheerfully and jazzed to be with us again as we are to be with him. Lord, you are so good and so faithful and so gracious. Forgive us for all these times that we worry and stress and forget that you have carried us in so many situations, personally and collectively as a church. And we thank you for your continued faithfulness in our lives. And this morning we pray for Todd and we pray for the word that you have put on his heart, that it will speak to us individually, collectively as a group. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would rid us of our preconceived notions and open us up to the truth that you are giving to us this morning through Todd. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, it's been a while for me, anyway. I um, I have so much to tell you about, but it's not really the time now. I've been to a lot of other churches, too, and uh, um, there's lots to tell you about with that as well. So maybe we'll have times to chat at various uh, coffee times or whatever. But I am excited to be back, and I'm eager for what is ahead eager to proclaim the gospel, and ready to start. It's kind of like a starting over when you have a, a significant break from anything. Many of you have experienced something similar. I'm aware of the blessing that I've just experienced, and like the best of times away or vacations or, you know, everybody says, you know, are you, I haven't had too much of this and now you won't do that, except you'll do it as a joke. Are you all rested up now? And those of you who've been on vacations know uh, many vacations you don't come back feeling rested. Um, but I have the—I feel the best thing of, of having been away for uh, a significant, significant period of time, and that is that while I'm very, very grateful for what I experienced in those four months, I'm also grateful to be back. And so I'm not mourning that the time has come to an end. Uh, I'm thankful for it. And so God is good, and, and I'm, I'm aware of that. There's a few weeks of summer left, and then we have the kickoff Sunday, September 11th. But we're not waiting. We're not just biding time in the summer. We have three weeks to consider this book of Zechariah, three weeks to consider what I'm calling life beyond the best expectations, visions of life and blessing and promise. Because this is a book full of visions. It's not something that we talk about a lot in this spiritual life. In some places they do. But Zechariah is going to receive the word of the Lord, and he's going to receive the word of the Lord primarily by having visions. So the book itself, what do you need to know to get the book? Zechariah is a relatively small book. It's in the section of scripture that's called the prophets, the writings of the prophets. Uh, this is God's truth being proclaimed. It's much more than a prediction of the future. There's some of that, you know, this is what's going to happen next. But prophecy is really God's words spoken into a particular context. Historical, social, cultural, cultural. So God's word comes to Zechariah, and Zechariah is tasked as a prophet to speak that word to people, speaking God's truth. Zechariah and his people are in exile, and they have been for decades. 
They are a people who had forgotten God. And in forgetting God, the, the uh, symptom of that is that they had turned to other gods. So idolatry. They were worshipping idols, things that were not God, instead of God. You can make the cultural translation yourself for our current time. Instead of worshipping God, they were worshipping things that they made, which is uh, very contemporary as well. And so idolatry was one symptom of their forgetting God, but the other symptom was injustice, that they'd forgotten the poor and the needy and the widows and and the foreigners and those who were cut off. And so God had judged them, and they found themselves in exile. This was not the way that it was supposed to be, the reign of a Persian king in Zechariah's time as we receive his prophecy here, the king is Darius. The book overlaps with another book, uh, the book of Haggai, which is an even shorter book that comes just before Zechariah. These two books together address the rebuilding and the starting over, which is often uh, part of the spiritual life. And anytime you think about rebuilding or starting over, whatever it is in your life, and these things, I don't think they ever cease, the rebuilding, the starting again. You just get kind of I think I know how to live right now as a 40-something-year-old. And then something else happens, you've got to learn how to live as a 50-something-year-old. You learn, you, many of you have learned the lessons wonderfully to live what you just lived. But what about the next thing? What about starting again? So this is a rebuilding and a starting over. And Haggai, the starting over is written out and proclaimed in terms of worship. The rebuilding, actually, of the temple. And there was great pessimism even in Haggai's time around rebuilding the temple. Because you remember, these people had no memory of a vibrant life of faith. And so there's this new task to rebuild a temple, and the people are basically saying to each other, it's not going to be that good. And one of the words of God that comes through Haggai is that Haggai says to the people, God is with you, and this temple will be more glorious than before. Words of hope and blessing and rebuilding. Zechariah's prophecy is not directly about worship in the temple, though there's some of that, but it's more focused on the rebuilding of the people, the community, and the nation. The generations before had not known God, as I say, in a vibrant way. Their, their parents and generation, you know, one, two, and three generations before, had turned away from God, and now you had generations who did not see God as central in their lives. It's into that context that Zechariah hears the words that Anne read for us. Uh, Chapter 1 and verse 3. The words which are invitation, they are positive words. It's an invitation to Zechariah's people, and it's over and over an invitation to us. Return to me, and I will return to you. I, I think everybody in this room needs to hear this. Everybody in this room needs in some way to return to God. But his promise is this. I will return to you. You will know again what it means, or maybe for the first time, because these people, some of them had never known a vibrant life of faith. If you return to me, I will return to you. It's still God's promise today. So this brief series, first we have today the introduction more than you could have imagined, a better life than you could have expected. Next week, we'll ask the question, what does it look like when things work? What does it look like when your life works? Because some of what's killing you is your uh, false expectations of what a life is supposed to be, which our culture keeps putting before us. What does it look like when a life works? 
it is also true that for many of us, we don't, we're not living in the fullness of what we could live. What does it look like when church works as it should? What does it look like to go from strength to strength? And we'll focus on Zechariah chapter 4 for that, if you want to know and kind of pray through some advanced reading. Uh, in the last uh, week of the summer, in the last week of the series, we'll ask the question, how is the character of God demonstrated in the renewal and restoration that Zechariah speaks about? Now, for those of us who are Christians, and for those of you who are not Christians who are here, we would uh, offer this invitation to consider it in this way. But for those of us who are Christians, anytime we talk about rebuilding, anytime we talk about renewal, and anytime we talk about a life beyond the best expectations, we are talking about life in Christ. Nothing else comes close. Something could go well in your week, or something could go well in your life, and I could say to you, how was your week? And you could say, it was really good. I had a, you know, whatever it is, you had some athletic pursuit, or you achieved some goal at work, or whatever it is, and I would celebrate those things and be glad for you. But life beyond the best expectations for a Christian is always defined by understanding and knowing and living in Christ, in freedom. Freedom from fear, which is what Christ promises us. Freedom from hatred, freedom to live in fullness, a spacious life, not fear or control or darkness. And in this world today, with all kinds of, of course, it's not new strife and conflict and trouble, but the freedom in this world when we live in Christ, the freedom to love without suspicion, without fear. So Zechariah. Zechariah among his people in exile with this King Darius. Uh, well, he's in exile under King Darius. Zechariah's people are defeated and humiliated, and it's decades after the incident of their defeat. The defeat is now not an incident, but a way of life. It's a situation and a context for living. They are living defeated lives. Some of you know, and some of you thankfully are not in this stretch right now. Some of you may be. These things can come and go. But some of you know what it means to feel like you're living a defeated life day after day. Not that you just suffered a defeat, but that defeat defines the context of your living, that you don't feel fully alive. This was the situation for these people. They were in exile from what their life was supposed to be. And the word that I use to describe them, and uh, it's good to learn new words and to feel what they mean and all that. So if this is new for you or too big, just go with it. These people are beleaguered. They're beaten down, but they're used to it. And it's now the normal way of living. They lack power, and they've settled in exile, and they're not really expecting much more than what they know. Now, you don't care about that, do you? You don't care about Zechariah's people. This is an ancient book and ancient stories, and we're not going to walk out into here and start telling people around Grand Boulevard, you know what, we really need to understand the words of Zechariah. And they're going to say, no, we don't. We're playing Pokemon Go. You don't care about this, except, and I don't mean that you're totally self-centered, but we're all too self-centered. You might not care about Zechariah and his people, but I know that you care about your relative lack of power in the world. 
I know that you care about your having settled and thinking about maybe this is about as good as it could get. I know that you care about your feeling at times like you live a defeated life and from a perspective of faith that you might not be fully alive and that often your spirituality is defined by anxiety more than victory. The rebuilding talked about by Haggai and Zechariah may be of interest to you after all if you would hear the words return to me and I will return to you. Some have heard and spoken this as a kind of condemnation and or else you better return to God. It's not how God speaks it here though he names the sin of the people before. But one of the things we have to watch for in the coming days, weeks, months and years is the tendency in Christian circles to turn God into a pagan deity. I've seen it in our own church. Where we understand God as one who has to be appeased. One who is more interested in our sin than in loving us. This is a pagan deity. You know that. Those of you who study any kind of religious history know that this, the pagan gods were the ones that had to be appeased. That's why it still filters down into Christian thinking. We still think that God is like that. That is not the God of Jesus Christ. The God of Jesus Christ is a God of compassion and forgiveness and love for all the world. And I will counter when I hear God spoken of in a way that sounds more like a pagan God. Because the world is dying for the love of Jesus Christ. And if we offer them something other or even something opposite, even in the name of Christian faith, we call it Christian. God is a God of compassion and love and mercy. He's offering this invitation to return to Zechariah's people and to us. And he will bring us and them from place of lifelessness to a place of joy, from resignation to meaning, from scarcity to abundance. And this, because this is how the God of Jesus Christ works, the God revealed fully in the character of Jesus Christ. It's God's doing to do this, from scarcity to abundance. It's not something that we can do or ever would be able to. We are invited to move from a world of fear and hatred and death to life to the full. Don't turn God into a God of darkness and death, a God who's mostly upset at people. Think of what you know about God and your life and the life of your loved ones. Do you know what God feels about them? I'll tell you. He loves them with an enduring love. And you say to me, but what about their sin? Oh, he's not blind to their sin. He loves them with an enduring love. He's faithful. There's a question, how is Zechariah going to hear God's word? In the prophets, over and over, you'll hear this line, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah or Ezekiel or the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah. How will God show up? This is how God shows up. God shows up by giving Zechariah visions. Now, I don't know how many of you in your spiritual life or in your prayer get visions. This is something that still happens and should still happen. I do. I, get, I call them usually pictures because people think I'm weird if I use the word vision. Um, 
but I, I can be riding my bike or I can be praying and I can have a picture to do with one of you. And I don't claim that it's gospel. I don't claim that it's entirely trustworthy. I test it against the person of Jesus Christ. Does this reflect the character of Jesus Christ and his love? But often those visions, those, those pictures can show me great things. It's bathed in scripture itself. It intertwines. But God is going to come to Zechariah and give him visions. Pictures is too small of a word for what he's giving Zechariah. He's giving Zechariah visions. Like big things. Red horses, you know, brown horses among the myrtle trees. And red, just the beginning portion. And I want to say three things about the word of the Lord as it comes to Zechariah. First, this word is for his time and his people. Stay with me over the next few minutes, a couple of minutes, but please understand that these words in the book of Zechariah are firstly not about you. Zechariah didn't say, gee, I wonder what Cheryl needs to apply to her life today. Right? It will get there. But these words are first and foremost for Zechariah and his people and his time. Let them be that first. Because what we do is that we so often lead with us, right? Me. What can I get out of it? What, what will I need? If you lead with you when you come to Scripture, you will often miss the Word of God. Because you're thinking about yourself first. Maybe the lesson you need to learn is nothing to do with what, you, what you're thinking about. I need to learn to be more patient, right? You probably do. Many of us do. Uh, I need to learn to be more patient. And so when I read, I'm going to listen and see what God teaches me about patience. And you go to the Word and He shows you something completely different. It wasn't patience you needed. It was that you're so self-absorbed or whatever it might be. This Word is bigger than your problems. Do you know that? This Word is bigger than your problems, bigger than you, and your life, and I know we would all echo this, we could sing it together, your life, thanks be to God, is not the biggest reality in the world. Now, once you discover that, you can be free to listen. The problem is we, we build churches and ministries and things to kids and around the opposite, that this is entirely about you. And then it's really hard for people to grow up. And, of course, our culture of advertising and marketing just does this even more. Zechariah's visions are for his time and his people first. Then they are apocalyptic. Apocalyptic sounds like end times and, you know, you know meteors hitting the earth or something. Apocalyptic scripturally means the unveiling, unveiling of the fullness of God. Zechariah's visions are for his time and his people. Then they are apocalyptic. They are about the completion of time. And then... You can hear them when you get through those first two levels, layers. You can hear that they might also be calling to you. And in fact, they are. So secondly, not to counter the first, but to add to it, they are then for our hearing. These are visions. This is a word of repentance and restoration. Repentance and restoration is the tempo of the Christian life. It is a constant need in our lives. Uh, repentance is not simply to be understood as I have sinned and done something terribly wrong and now I repent. Uh, as if this is the primary definition of a Christian life. Somehow, uh, when, we, when we think that way, 
We can live as if God is caught in that cycle as well, my repentance and restoration. So I've done something bad, now I pray God forgives me, and it's all just this kind of circle. That's, that's not fully what we mean by repentance and restoration. Look at Zechariah's people. There's more going on than that. Here's where repentance and restoration can be defined. We are constantly tempted to define the world, to see the world apart from God. You are constantly tempted by that. You'll be tempted by that this afternoon. We're, many of us are coming to a service this afternoon. And, and for those of us who are Christians gathering to mark the death of someone, to say goodbye on this earth, there is a temptation to be overwhelmed by the despair of death. But that's why the Christian funeral is a wonderful, hopeful thing. When we, when we say goodbye to somebody who has trusted in Jesus Christ, because we say, no, that's not the way we define the world. We are always tempted to define the world apart from God and apart from the gracious truth of Jesus Christ. That's what Zechariah's people had done. They, of course, are before Jesus Christ walks this earth. But in our world, day after day and week after week, here's what I get, or whoever gets up here. We get 25 or 30 or whatever it is, minutes to speak how things should be defined. And then the rest of your week, most of the messages are speaking another way of definition. And that definition usually has to do with scarcity, like you better be careful because you're getting old and things are getting worse, or you don't have enough money, or it's, you know, life is pretty terrible, or you've got to get more than your neighbor, or you have to compete with everybody else to get into the right programs, or whatever it might be. That's the world that is defined by what's out there. And as we are listening here, and as we listen to, to Zechariah's words, that is not the way life is defined by God, or we would say as Christians, that is not the way life is defined in Jesus Christ. We are always faced with lesser choices to see the world not as Christ sees it. And this includes religion. Religion sees the world not as Christ sees it. It sees the world as, as you know, spiritual or moral or ethical measuring up. You've got to achieve this level. That's not the, the, the vision of Jesus Christ. We are always faced with these lesser choices to see the world not as Christ sees it, who gave his life out of love for the world. That's the way Jesus sees the world. He gave his life. This, then, is the occasion, over and over, of our repentance. You repent over individual sins, and that's fine. You should keep doing that. But this is the big picture. that The reason you sinned is that you failed to see the fullness of life in Christ. These visions are for our hearing and our seeing. Thirdly, these visions, are, and this word, sorry, this word reveals the character of God. The biggest question in any Christian consideration is how do we see Christ in this? Always this question. More than us, more than application, more than, you know, what can I learn from this text? Those things are important. But the biggest question is always how do I see the character of God revealed and how does this reflect the love of Jesus Christ? It is to come to the Word looking for more than a set of behaviors or a spiritual feeling even of ecstasy. It is to understand how the character of God is demonstrated in the Word you're reading and then to ask what does it mean to be conformed to that character and to correspond to it. So the book. It's a fascinating book and compelling. Uh, the way that it works is it, Zechariah is going to go on a little walking tour. Jen and I were just in Prague, and like, there's just so many people there that you can barely move. And every time you're trying to walk down some old cobblestone street, all of a sudden you're swallowed up by a walking tour, and you're in the middle of 50 people, and you're like, they're all seeming to know something's going on, and you, what, where am I going? 
Zechariah goes on a walking tour, but his tour guide is an angel. That's the book. Have you read this book? It's a walking tour, and his tour guide is an angel. It's a life-giving walk through the wasteland. And that's a key word in the book, wasteland. It doesn't show up in, in the text, but in, in, as you study the book. For Zechariah and his life and his people, life had been defined by exile, by this foreign king. It's the context of their lives. And then the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah. An angel appears and begins taking Zechariah on this tour. And he's a kind angel. You know he's kind because the angel intercedes on Zechariah's behalf and on the behalf of Zechariah's people. The angel, you saw it in chapter 1, right? Anne read it for us. Zechariah, the angel says to God, so Zechariah's standing here waiting for the tour to start. And the tour's kind of started already, but it really hasn't got to the good stuff. And, and meanwhile, the angel says, hang on a sec, I've got to talk to the boss. To... And then he says, God, how long are you not going to show mercy to these people? This is a Christian practice that this angel is taking up, interceding on behalf of the people. And God then speaks, and in the ESV it says, I think in what we read this morning it says kind and comforting. In the ESV it says, God spoke gracious and comforting words to the angel to pass on to me. I've returned in mercy, and the city shall be rebuilt, and the cities will overflow with blessing and prosperity, and I'll comfort my people. God's declaration here and for us fully in Christ is life. God offers life. So notes about the visions. First of all, the visions are fantastical. I want you to imagine your life and what it would look like if God blessed all aspects of your life. So here's what you would do. You would try to make sense of it. You would consider areas of need or absence. So that might be financial, that might be relational, that might be health-wise. The visions could have been like that for Zechariah, where the visions could have been basically Zechariah's life but fixed. Do you know what I mean? Corrected. Instead, Zechariah gets, for the most part, fantastical visions. Lampstands with lips, olive trees beside lampstands that need constant oil, and here's these olive trees right beside them. Horses in this myrtle of red color and, and, and just walking through the land. God will always shatter your greatest hopes because God has more for you than you could imagine. So you're defining it in terms of what you know of your life now, and God is giving Zechariah and you, if you listen, a vision that you can barely contain because it just shatters everything. This is not the prosperity gospel. That's, that's a... I have a bad word in my mind. How can I translate it? That's a dwarf gospel, the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is, is because... It exists because we, we don't truly trust... And we need to believe that if we just have this, then we'll get money or something. It's a tiny little gospel. It's, it's a fake. This isn't the prosperity gospel. This isn't the absence of suffering. It is that sometimes we can be captivated even by, and I was talking to James about this when we were meeting and praying together the other day, we can be imprisoned even by our utopian dreams. And some of you are imprisoned and captivated by how you think your life should work. And God has something better for you. Secondly, these visions are visions of blessing, rebuilding, salvation, 
and rejoicing. In the tour of the wasteland, the place where people feel no life, the visions are a contrast to that. They're visions of strength, salvation, rejoicing, singing. Let me read these words again. Say them again, but speak them over your life. Now think of your life. You ready? Blessing. Rebuilding. Salvation. Rejoicing. I can say with 100% confidence, that is what God has for you in Christ. Thirdly, their visions of community. Some of the visions uh, will be of people at peace, enjoying life together. In chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, there's this picture of basically a city square, a town center. And it says there'll be old men and women sitting there with their walkers, chatting with each other, and they'll be watching children play. That's what it's going to be like. That's a vision that Zechariah has. They're visions of community. It's not just about one person. It's not just about you. As we grow in Christ, our salvation is always together. Other people and somehow every other person, somehow every other person I meet, even those who don't claim the name of Jesus Christ, every person I meet, that meeting is altered by my faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is always more than personal in Christian theology. Now, does that mean you don't have personal salvation? I suppose you do. But in Scripture, salvation is always more than simply personal. It's communal. Fourthly, these visions are visions of a recovery of strength. One of the things that Sutherland is not very good at, and I'll name myself in this. I'm not ashamed of it or anything. It's just truth. We're not that great at reaching out to other people inviting people in, and so you'd say growth or whatever it might be, evangelism. There's an interesting note on evangelism in Zechariah, uh, and it's in chapter 8, verse 13. It says, You who have been a byword shall become a blessing for many. This is an evangelistic note. In other words, as you discover fullness of life, and we would say in Christ, you will become a blessing for many other people that you don't even know now. That's evangelistic. And finally, these visions are visions of peace. Not simply absence of war, but this is a positive term, not just a negative term. So it's not, peace doesn't mean the absence of something. It means the presence of something. This is the presence of fullness and wholeness. This is completion. This is shalom. And it's going to be realized in the coming of a king God will save his people. One of Zechariah's visions, maybe the most famous, is the coming of a king. Listen to what it says. Chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. We as Christians say this is the prophecy of the triumphal entry coming of a king who will usher in utter and total peace, fullness of life. Chapter 4, verse 1, I want to end with before we take communion together. Actually, Bart, one of the songs that Bart sang, I guess it's a new one, and I really liked it. And uh, so we should stay with it. We should keep going. If I have a vote, then. Uh, That Grace Alone song. Some of the words said, At your touch, my sleeping spirit was awakened. That's the Zechariah line, because listen to what Zechariah says in chapter 4, verse 1. And the angel of the Lord came to me again, 
and I awoke like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. The angel of the Lord came to me again, and I awoke like a man who was awakened from his sleep. And so my question to you simply this week is will you allow yourself to be awakened to the fullness of life that is in Jesus Christ? I invite you. I invite you. And it's not for me to determine whether you're a Christian or not, right? So some of you would say, I've never accepted, never come to Christ. Some of you have thought of yourself as Christian for many, many years, but I still issue the invitation. Come to Christ. In Him is fullness of life. This is the gospel, life for the world, not death. The gospel that Jesus, in, in Jesus Christ, God has turned towards all humanity and we can turn towards God. The gospel is that we can be transformed and our lives can go from wasteland to abundance in him. We will proclaim this gospel here week after week, a gospel of hope and life. And you need to continue to ask yourself as an invitation, how is it that you need to come to Christ? Will you allow yourself to be awakened? We're going to share communion together. Uh, I'm going to pray. And then uh, uh, we've included in your bulletin, if you haven't been here and don't uh, know what we're doing with this communion, some an outline of, of what we're doing. We always say this table is a table of inclusion, not exclusion. So if you know Jesus or want to know Jesus, you're welcome to receive. This is for us the reminder that Jesus Christ has given his life for the life of the world. So we take the bread and we break it, and you'll see me break it, and we say this is the body of Christ given for you. That your life is defined not by your accomplishments or your sin. Your life is defined by the love of Jesus Christ. And in receiving, you declare your trust in him. The cup symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the forgiveness of sins of the world. And you receive and you trust in his life rather than your own. So let me pray for the communion. Come Holy Spirit and guide us as we take this feast, this remembrance. Remind us in this receiving of our unity with the whole church across the world, the church of Jesus Christ, however it is that people receive this uh, Eucharist, this breaking of bread, this communion. And bind us together as a church, even Sutherland Church, in your love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that whenever we think of fullness of life, we think of what it means that our life is in you. And so we receive this bread and we receive this cup in your name and to remember you and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.